The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Uh, so first, let's get over to discuss uh, what is quite a sensitive topic, I think, for a lot of people. And that's the cost of IVF treatment and accessing IVF treatment here in Ireland. And as always, we want you to get in touch with the show. You can text 53106 at a cost of 30 cent, email thehardshoulder at newstalk.com or tweet us on at thehardshoulder. Uh, three guests joining us uh, this afternoon for this discussion on IVF. We've got Anne-Marie uh, Gillooly, who's living in Dublin and has been through the IVF process herself. We've got Mary Wingfield, former clinical director with the Marian Fertility Clinic and we have Katerina O'Carr, Associate Professor of Health Law at University of Copenhagen and you're all very welcome to the programme. Anne-Marie, if I can go to you first, you've lived this experience, you've been through the IVF process, it's been successful for you and your partner, thankfully. What was it like um, going through that process and accessing it and what was it like, I suppose, you know, where did it start for you and why did you start the IVF process? Hi Lisa, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I suppose for us it started um, shortly after we got married. Um, we decided to start trying for a child, I suppose, as many people do. Um, and it took around 18 months and we had started having fertility investigations. And after 18 months, I found out that I had become spontaneously pregnant um, and had a lovely normal pregnancy. But unfortunately, my son was stillborn um, so at 42 that, weeks. Thank you. Um, so as well as dealing with the, the absolute grief from that loss, of course. Um, we were left back in the, the kind of doldrums of infertility, which is, is awful at any time and after loss is particularly difficult. Um, we kind of started quite quickly trying to get pregnant again um, when it didn't happen. Our kind of worst, real, our fears were coming true that it was going to take a while again. Um, we started doing investigations, we started doing kind of more holistic approaches rather than jumping straight to IVF. So, um, you know, the kind of acupuncture and stuff like that initially and then moving quite quickly on to assisted cycles and ovulation, stimulation, things like that. Um, when it didn't happen after about a year and a half after Max passed away, we moved to IVF and we found ourselves not knowing which clinic to go to, just this whole world that that had been that you'd hoped you'd um, never need to enter into, but found yourself absolutely. And, and, and Marie, when you were when you were going through those investigations, was there anything yeah. particular that was identified as causing the problems for you guys? Um, you know, why was IVF what was recommended to you? Um, so my AMH was quite low. I was. 32 when Max You might just explain what AMH is for those listeners that might not. AMH is a long anti-malarian hormone or something. It's it's basically a measure of ovarian reserve. So So how many eggs you have basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it's a sign of kind of premature ovarian um, ageing. Mm -hmm. So based on that, that they kind of felt that that was part of it, but actually nothing was off the charts like this is a definite reason. Um, But I suppose a lot of the things that can be wrong with fertility IVF kind of bypasses them if there's any male factor issues, particularly there's a, a process called ICSI where they don't rely on the sperm to fertilise the egg. They actually do that fertilisation. Um, yeah, because we know, Amory, with, with fertility issues, it's, it's 50-50. I think there's a lot of focus often on, on the woman uh, and women yeah. tend to get lots of testing done. But actually, it, it can be an issue on, on both sides. And very often it can be just they don't know really what the yeah, issue is. But for, for you guys, I suppose, uh, am I correct in saying it's because of the length of time it was taking that this became the journey that you had to go on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we just it, it was such a, a devastating, like anybody who's gone through infertility 
in general, like every month is this cycle of, you know, at the start of your cycle, you have hope this is going to be the month. This is definitely it. And you hope you catch your window. And then as you're in the, the kind of two week post ovulation, you're like, am I feeling symptoms? I've got a headache. I've had a funny dream. And you start to imagine. And then every month there is that negative test or there is that cycle starting again. And it's absolutely devastating it's really hard to explain to somebody who's not been through that um just how much it impacts your life and people are telling you all the time just relax and it'll happen or I, I know this person down the road and she goes out and gets drunk and she got pregnant from you know she was drinking and smoking 80 a day and you just want to say they got pregnant in spite of their lifestyle choices not because of them and actually you know you're you're there doing everything that you can possibly do to bring this living baby home and you know people kind of making little of it and actually it's kind of one of the things I think fertility clinics some fertility clinics so don't help themselves but yeah right. I mean like it, it's a it's a it's a difficult journey and I think those comments are they're the last thing you want to hear but you know you you went through the IVF journey was it successful for you in the end did, did it work out in the end yeah so we we started the cycle and without without great odds um but we were very lucky to get five embryos and our first embryo was fresh transfer and became our little boy Flynn, who's now a happy, healthy five-year-old who's about to start school next week. Um, when he was two then, we went back, we had four more embryos and we naively expected one of those four would go on to become a sibling for him. Um, but unfortunately, none of the four worked. Um, and then we went back and did another fresh cycle and that didn't work either. We had one embryo, we did PGS testing and that didn't work. So how much had um, this we cost were, you at this stage, Anne-Marie? What, what did you spend on the IVF treatment um, at this point? In total with the clinic, um, about 25000 and then wow. medication costs on top of that. And Lisa, that's a drop in the ocean compared to what some people spend. Like people spend three, four or five times that amount. Um, and we, you know, we were lucky to have a good outcome. When you have a good outcome, the amount that you spend... It doesn't matter it, because painful. it was, of course, always yeah, worth it. I wouldn't say it doesn't matter, but it but it becomes less. But there are people who've remortgaged their house, spent yeah. their house deposits, and and they're still left with nothing. We we eventually decided we were going to do two more cycles, um, and then draw a line under it because one of the things with IVF as well, it's almost psychologically a little bit like gambling. You're like the next time might be the one that works, or the extra treatments that they're recommending might be the one that helps. Um, and you have to draw a line under it at some stage. Um, so we had kind of agreed what that line was going to be for us as a family. Um, but we were one of those cliche cases that as we were preparing for another cycle, we found out we were pregnant with our daughter and we now have another little eight month old um, oh, girl in my house. So we've, we've been extremely, extremely lucky. Yeah, you had a long road, Anne-Marie, but I was delighted to hear that it was successful for you and that you, you, yeah. you got your two babies, which is which is fantastic. Mary, if I if I can bring you in, coming at it from a medical perspective, you've obviously seen this story time and time again. You've seen the heartache, the stress that, that couples yeah. go through, that families go through trying to have that much wanted baby. Um, you know, from your perspective as a clinician, where do you see the difficulties or where are the challenges? Whoa. Um I suppose every single patient is different and different patients or different couples will have different challenges from a medical point of view. Um, psychologically, you know, I suppose some people are very lucky. They, they'll have one cycle of IVF and they may get, as Anne-Marie said there, they may get five embryos and they may be luckier than Anne-Marie and get two or three. We've had patients who've, who've got three babies out of one cycle of IVF. So some people are very lucky and they get pregnant 
easily with it and um it's fantastic. Other people do everything right. They, you know, their lifestyle is impeccable. They do everything that they're told to do. They put everything into it and it doesn't work for them. And I suppose that's human nature, but it's absolutely heartbreaking um, when people try and try. Um, And that's the same the world over. I suppose one of the additional problems in Ireland is that it's so expensive and uh, it's expensive all around the world. Um, But most countries in Europe, virtually all countries in Europe, have some element of public funding, which we don't have. And as one of the richer countries in Europe, we're, we're an absolute disgrace in that regard. Yeah, we, we know that Ireland ranks 40th out of 43 nations in terms of, um, yeah. and we're the only EU state not to actually fund IVF at all. And, yeah. and Mary, we know that the World Health Organization classifies infertility as a disease. Um, yet I think we have a long way to go in this country, as I'm sure you'd agree, in, in really responding to that or treating it that way. Absolutely. Um, and we've been talking about it for years and years um, and we really just need to start funding it. Um, like we fund every other aspect of medicine. It is a medical treatment. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, people are born with, men are born with very low sperm counts. They may have surgery as a child and end up with very low sperm counts. Women can get endometriosis. They can get um, have ectopic pregnancies and end up with blocked fallopian tubes. And the only way they can get pregnant is with IVF and they need a medical treatment and we provide every other medical treatment in our public service and we really do need to start providing IVF. You know, we we had the abortion referendum and within a year we we funded abortion services, which is absolutely right. Um, We had the COVID pandemic and straight away we funded treatment for the COVID pandemic. Um, And we've been talking about funding IVF for years and years. Leo Varadkar promised it in 2016. Simon Harris promised it in 2018. Um, the Department of Health commissioned a report on methods of funding in 2017 and they were given a, a 200-page document by the HRB outlining how other countries do it. And now it's five years later and still nothing has happened. So I think we we really just need to start. It's time to get it. a move on. I think Mary is what yeah. you're saying there. Stop and I know, talking about it. Yeah. yeah, and I know the current health minister has said that that it's his intention to to fund it as well. So you know, I think we'll all be watching the upcoming budget to see if if that's in there. We certainly hope that it is. Just a couple of texts into the show. Um, first one saying all well and good hearing Athena Faller speaking about I- IVF when they've been in government and supported the government parties over the past twenty years. What have they actually done over those years? Uh, and second text saying we've gone through three rounds, seven grand a pop it's disgrace the governments haven't touched it properly um, I think this is something that we definitely have to um, you know we're, we're certainly back at the back at the class or back at the queue in terms of what we're doing in this area and uh, Katrina if I can bring you in you're, you're working in the Danish system how does it compare um, you know there, there, there is publicly funded IVF in Denmark Hi, yeah. So there is publicly funded IVF, but I, of course there's limitations and I think if the government does bring in funding for this, of course, there's important discussion to be had about what treatment and how many cycles, for example, and for whom will it be funded. So in Denmark, um, if you've been referred to fertility services, um, as long as you're 40 or under, you can access uh, us, but it's only up to three rounds of IVF that would actually be publicly funded. And you have you can't be older than 41 or you can't have publicly funded IVF. Um, and then if you're over 41, you can access um, fertility treatment, IVF, um, until you're age 45 in the private sector. 
Mm-hmm. And another sort of strange aspect is that it's only your first child uh, for whom you can get IVF or your first child with that particular person. So if you want to have more children, um, then you'll have to pay for it yourself. And that's quite criticised here, as well as the fact that there's only three rounds funded, because, of course, I suppose many um, yeah. people want more than one child. And, of course, also there's sort of this yeah. push to encourage people to have more children, but you will have to um, self-fund if you want more than one. So it seems, uh, Katerina, that there's a system in place. It's not perfect. It's it's better than certainly the better than the, the the lack of a system here in Ireland. But there are mm. maybe some changes that you'd like to make. And I think you know you made an interesting point around um, who can access this funding. I know from some of the research I did myself when I was publishing a women's health policy and looking at the whole area of fertility treatment and IVF. I took a look at all of the other EU member states, what they were doing. Uh, we're the only EU state that doesn't fund it at all in any shape or form. But when you get into the nitty gritty. Of it, uh, Katerina, there's quite a difference across member states. Uh, some member states will only fund heterosexual couples. Um, if I'm correct in saying this, I think Germany, you have to be married, which sounds bananas. Um, mm-hmm. There are certain countries will fund one cycle, others will fund two, maybe three. Uh, and then there are there, there appear to be age limits in all countries. So there does appear to be uh, quite a lot of, you know, I suppose, limitations in all countries, but it does vary significantly. Yes, there's, there's huge variation. I mean, there's huge variations among the healthcare systems in general of EU member states, um, but also in this area. So, I mean, what I suppose what's important here is that um, you can be two women, you can actually be a woman on your own, um, or you can be a heterosexual couple, and you have the same access to treatment. What sort of being discussed here or criticised here is that you can't be two men. So, two men can't be registered as parents. It can only be two women. Uh, so obviously they, there's a lot of limitations on surrogacy, which I suppose you can call a different issue, but that is discussed a lot here. And then there'd be, there'd be the, the clinics would also um, impose their own limitations. And again, that goes back to the, you know, the medical considerations, which obviously I'm not an expert in, but I mean, some clinics here have been criticised for requiring women to be under a certain BNI to access treatment. Which is quite controversial yeah, because we know that BMI is not an indication necessarily of health. Um, and there's been a lot of, yeah, I think, exactly. updated information in, in that respect. Mary, if I can bring you back in on this, um, you know, listening to Katerina there talking about the Danish system and the type of limitations in place. You know, ha- have you a view, Mary, on, on what type of system we should have here in Ireland? You know, should there be certain limitations? What's the best way to set it up that would deliver that service as quickly as possible? Because clearly time is of the essence for so many couples waiting for this. Yeah, I mean, it's a big question and I think we really need to start working on it quickly. Um, and I'm not sure that anybody really is. Um, I, I suppose it's difficult that some countries provide unlimited treatment like Israel um, because there are good arguments economically that it's economically um, viable, uh, you know, advantageous for a country to fund IVF because any child who's born will end up, um, you know, most children will end up uh, paying tax and contributing to society and with ageing populations in every country um, we have a huge need for young people so you know the economists when they look at it IVF is actually it's actually worth it for a country to fund IVF but with our current health service I suppose we we, prob- we can't fund it indefinitely. Scotland I think has a very reasonable system and they fund three cycles as well and for a lot of people three cycles would get them two children so in Scotland you you if you have one child or no child um, in a relationship, you, you get three cycles of treatment. Um, if you if you get if you end up with two 
children from that treatment, then you don't yeah. get any further funding after that. Um, I think if we could if we could copy the Scottish system, that would be great. It would make such a difference for so many people. Um, so many families the, that are waiting. The age thing is a difficult one because the success rate of treatment really goes down once women go above 40. So you'll end up spending 10 times as much money for one child in someone who's 42 and so, to, compared yeah. to someone who's 32. So, so there is a lot. There, I mean, way. there is a lot to consider there, Mary. Um, and, yeah. But I mean, ultimately, I think we're all in agreement that we need to get a system in place as quickly as possible to, to help uh, all of those those women and those families that are waiting. Um, okay, I just want to thank very much, uh, Anne Marie, Mary, and Katerina for 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 coming on the show and for discussing what is a really important topic for so many uh, couples and women across the country. Uh, so coming up uh, on the centenary of the death of Michael Collins, I'll speak to Hollywood actress Audrey Dalton, the daughter of Emmett. Dalton, who was by Collins' side when he died. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.